Hey, church fam. Welcome to the Downtown Community Church Podcast. We're excited to welcome you into our Advent, or Arrival, series to prepare our hearts to observe the birth of Jesus. This series through Isaiah and the prophecies he made will continue until Christmas. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, and because of his light, there is hope in the dark. Now, let's open up the word together with Pastor Ben Kempfer. Oh, hey, there you guys are. Hey, my name is Ben, and I have the honor of serving as the uh, lead pastor here at DCC. And, uh, man, I just want to say we're we're excited that everybody's here today, and especially, man, celebrating baptisms uh, in the midst of Noah going by on the ark. And it's just, it's a glorious celebration um, holistically. But but, but seriously, today, um, man, it it is very much kind of a story Sunday. And I'm not going to, I don't have a full sermon. I just kind of want to connect some dots that we've been talking about and what just happened. Can we just give it up one more time for all the people who, who got baptized today and made the public declaration? Uh, and it's one of those things that uh, it's, it's beautiful because um, what, what I know is man, every time we gather together, every time we're here, there are so many stories that are, that are represented. There are so many stories of, of hurt and struggle. There are so many uh, stories of, of wondering and praying, God, are you there? God, do you care? There's so many stories of, God, are you strong enough? God, do you hate me? There's so many stories of, of, of just confusion. And on top of that, there are stories of, of people who have been prayed for, like moms praying, dads praying, um, children praying, praying for parents, and, and, and people who are friends praying for roommates and, and back and forth. And, and, man, it's just this cool thing when we get to come and we get to celebrate that, that what happens in baptism is that beautiful picture, that beautiful picture is this public declaration that this person has gone from death to life. And, and what's awesome and amazing is it fits so perfectly in with what we're talking about in this Advent season. Um, if you've been tracking with us, we've been going through the book of Isaiah uh, and parts of it as it declares Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament is declaring things to the nation of Israel. And in the process of declaring things to the nation of Israel, he's actually making proclamations about the future. Um, that is to say, the nation of Israel was at an interesting point when Isaiah is speaking to it. Up to this point, we've been talking about how they were God's chosen people. God said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. Not just like a general God, not just someone who you can look to, but I specifically, personally, am going to be your God and you specifically, personally, are going to be my people. There's going to be an, a relationship that's not just a humanity showing deference towards eternity, but it's actually going to be a relationship where you, you know each other, you are aware of each other, there's, there's, there's reciprocation back and forth, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and, and the people of God, like we often do, they just rebelled. Through the period of judges, they rebelled, and God would raise up these different judges, which were these, these leaders, they were kind of almost king-esque, but they were kind of a political leader, somewhat of a religious leader, and they would kind of lead reform back into the nation. The nation would continue to turn around, and then through the, pre- the period of the kings, where they said, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king, and God said, okay, here's the king, and, and the kings would consistently rebel. The nation went into kind of a civil war, the lower to the upper, the northern you know, kingdoms were ten kingdoms, the southern were two, and, and to this point, we've been talking every time about how the nation of Assyria was the world's superpower, and they were threatening to take out the nation of Israel. Well, they did. Northern kingdom, northern kingdom, they took it out. And if you've read this in the kind of your history books, you know that the Assyrians, they were the world superpower. Then the Babylonians came and took them over, basically. They also went into Jerusalem. They went into the southern kingdom, and they did this massive Babylonian export. 
So where we pick up, actually, is in chapter 40, because 39 leaves off. 39 is Isaiah doing this proclamation that there's going to come judgment, there's going to come judgment, there's going to come judgment. And it's almost like through the process of the actual exile, Isaiah is just kind of silent. But in chapter 40, he has a declaration for the people, for the people of God who have felt like they've been cut off. In fact, for the people of God who in some ways have been cut off from God. You see, to be a good Jewish boy or Jewish girl in their day, man, it was all about going to the temple and it was all about worshiping in the right ways and it was all about making the sacrifices at the right time at the temple. And you can no longer do that anymore. And so they were basically in a foreign land, unable to exercise their devotion to God, cut off from a lot of the protection and what felt like perhaps cut off from the promise of God. And Isaiah has a declaration for all of us who find ourselves in that situation, who find ourselves in the context where, where life kind of feels like a desert, where life maybe feels like a wilderness, or life feels like for some reason, for whatever reason, man, I've just been disconnected and cut off from God. And let me just say this, because some of you hear that and you think that from a, you think that's explicitly and only for somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And it's not. Some of us, we've been so cut off from God, we haven't spent time with God in, in, in days, weeks, months. Haven't prayed to him, haven't spent time in his word. Haven't done anything to serve, haven't had any form of generosity, haven't had any sense of evangelism. I just, I just, I've just not even been following, not even been doing, and I feel cut off from God. And maybe it's like the nation of Israel. Maybe it's because of some of the decisions you made. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's just because of some decisions that were outside of your control. But you find yourself in a place where you're cut off. In the last few minutes, I just want to read this and pick out a couple of different things that I think are really significant that actually are what create what he says in this very first verse. So Isaiah chapter 40. Now again, in the context of people cut off from God, many people think he's actually prophesying this not when they have been let back in because what would happen again is that the Babylonians would be taken out by the Persians. Cyrus would make this decree that if you have been taken away in the Babylonian export, you can now go back. And so he's kind of prophesying and he's saying this. He's saying, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Saying comfort, and, he, and then he, and the Bible repeats it. It's not because of the fact that it's like has a has an issue where it's like I just I don't think they heard that first comfort. When it's repetitive, it amplifies. So he's saying comfort. He's like no no no, but for real. When you don't feel comfort, when you feel like God has abandoned you, when you feel distant from God, when you feel separate from God, when you feel like your relationship with God has been dry for too long. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And cry to her, woo her that her welfare is ended, her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Hey, thanks, Dill. My throat, boy, y'all know how it is. December, man, it'll get you. Also, it could be of like just sackcloth and ashes over last weekend, but we're just, you know, we're not going to bring that up right now. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Cut off from the promise, like what's going on? That her warfare is in it, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain hill may be made low. 
And the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the breath of the Lord blows on it. And surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. He says, so go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, says to the cities of Judah, or say to the city of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arms rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now, let me just tell you, this section, you can, you can do an entire series. In fact, I've read plenty of series in preparation for the summer sermon. I love, by the way, the pastors who have all their stuff written out because I can just read through what they've said about different stuff. And they'll say sections 1 through 2 is a sermon, 3 through 5 is a sermon, 6 through 8 through is a sermon, and 9 through 11 is a sermon. That you can go infinitely deep into each one of these things because each one of them speaks to something about the person and the character of God. So I just kind of want to take all of this and highlight it all together and put a string through it that connects all this to baptism. Because what I find every time I hear a story, every time I hear a story of someone saying, and, and, and this is my public declaration that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, my Lord and my Savior, there's almost always this concurrent realization that he is both strong, king, and worth and worthy of all of our lives in submission. That he is powerful, that he is strong, and the best thing that I can do for this all-knowing, all-powerful being is to just simply submit to him and say, I, you have my entire life. But at the same time, it's this realization that it's not just this domineering king, not just this domineering God, not this God who sits on high right now and is just throwing lightning bolts at our sound system, right, and just saying, make reverb happen, right? It's, it's a God who loves us and cares for us. And gathers us. You see, in these, even in these first two, the whole thing is kind of bookended like this. It's, it says at the beginning, it says, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly. The, the, the Hebrew in that is, is kind of like this idea of, of, of wooing. It's, it's speak in a way that's kind and compassionate for these people who have been war-torn. Who it feels like everything inside of them has been destroyed and is trying to figure out which way is up and which way is down. And perhaps God has so... Perhaps God has so, in his strength, cut us off. And in his justice, seen our sin. And maybe he thinks, maybe I think that he thinks that I'm no longer worthy of love. And what's interesting, and that is, and I don't think any of us, or very few of us at least, I think probably would say that, um, cognitively, right? None of, very few of us would, would look at this and say, okay, yeah, God's completely cut me off. You know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. But we feel like it has. 
Nothing can separate me from the love of God, but because of the sin in my life, I haven't, um, because of this, I need, I need a God who speaks to me tenderly because at the times when I'm in some of my greatest rebellion, I need accountability, but I also know that there's a father who's there who loves me, who cares about me, and who is longing for his kids to come home. And so he says, okay, so speak tenderly to them. Man, I want to uh, draw them in, draw them with my love, with my kindness, and with my compassion. And for some of us, again, that's the view of God, and it's a, it's a good view of God, but it's a partial view of God because the very next thing he says is, is verse 3, that a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. All the gospel writers, Rob, by the way, connect this to John the Baptist because John the Baptist was declaring that he is here, the king has arrived. Make every, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It says every valley lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. Now this was interesting. Here's, here's what we don't get because context and, and our culture does not understand exactly what's being said here. He says, prepare a path, make a way for the Lord. In their day, um, kings and queens, specifically kings, when they went from point A to point B, they wouldn't go on the road that everybody else went on. They had to have a new road that was laid. And so oftentimes through valleys, through hills, through wilderness, through deserts, there would be this new road that was cut. And so this was a proclamation. Hey, I want you to speak tenderly to Jerusalem because they are my sheep. They are my people. I love them. I care about them. And I know that right now that they feel cut off, but I want them to know that I love them. I care about them. I am a compassionate shepherd. But at the same time, I am a sovereign king. So prepare the way. Make straight the paths. I want you to, to, in fact, I am so strong and so powerful. I'm not just a king like every other king that you're just going to lay a road for. Here's what's going to happen is that every valley, all the low parts is going to be brought up. All the high parts is going to be that so that everybody can have a pathway to God because the king has entered. In an advent, we celebrate that he came down. He showed up. And he served. You see, almost every one of us has a view of God that tends towards shepherd, kind, compassionate Savior, or sovereign King. And what I find interesting is when we read about God in the Bible, it's almost always with a counterweight when it describes Him. He is the lion, and he's the lamb. He's full of grace, unmerited favor that you did not earn, that you did not deserve, but he's also a God of truth. His truth is where the reality of our sin comes in. His truth is where judgment comes in. His truth is where, is where justice comes in. His truth is where wrath comes in. But in his grace is where the Savior comes in. And he took that judgment, took that wrath for us. And what I find to be interesting is that he's saying, here's comfort. Comfort my people when you feel cut off. And when you feel cut off, Maybe your view of God is that he is king and strong. But if he's not shepherd, then all that does is intimidate and terrify us because there's an all-knowing, all-powerful being who's actually upset at you. Now, we know cognitively differently if you've been in church for a long time. But how do you feel? 
There's just a little illustration called the head and the heart, called the horse and the rider. Think about it this way. Your head is smarter. A horse is stronger. We know things cognitively. We feel different emotionally. Right? This is why you know somebody's terrible for you and you still date them anyway. Like, oh, that's why. Yeah, that's why. The same thing can happen with God. Like, I know nothing can separate me, yet at the same time I feel separated. I know they're bad for me, yet I still engage. I know that that's not true, yet I still engage in that way. And my hope is that if God is simply a strong king, if he is just simply a sovereign judge, then you need to know the Savior who loves you, who cares for you, who says at the end that the very last verse in this, verse, verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. He's like, man, I love you. I care about you. But the other side of that is some of us just know a God who's just this soft shepherd. This is the God who you can know he saves you, but we actually don't believe in his sovereignty he's worth submitting to. We know he saves us, we know he died for us. We know he reconciled us. But he's not, he's not king, or at least I, I know he is, but, but internally I don't actually feel like I want to trust him. And what Isaiah declares is, hey, there's comfort. There's comfort. Because, because if, he is just, if he is just shepherd, then he has no strength. And if he is just strength, then we have an angry God who is not loving and kind. But he is, he is, he is the shepherd king. He is the sovereign savior who loves and who came to serve. Because he saw our sinfulness, saw it, knew that it, 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 it deserved judgment, it deserved wrath. And yet, in spite of that, loved us, saw us, and said, comfort, comfort my people, that there's going to be one who is going to declare, and he's going to make straight, and he's going to say, the king is coming. And that king came, but that king came in such a different way, because he came in this little manger, being born as this fragile baby, and he lived in such a way that everybody expected he was going to take the place over, but his kingdom was not to be ushered in with violence. It was to be of love. It was to be of grace. It was to be of sacrifice, that in his strength, he did not leverage his strength, but he leveraged his strength to serve us. And what I see is when people get baptized, that's the connection. He is shepherd. He is loving, caring, kind. And he is the king. And right in the middle, what we decide is that I can spend the rest of my life, I can spend the rest of my life trying to build my kingdom. <laughs> I can spend the rest of my life saying, see how beautiful this flower is? See how incredible? See, see this house I have? See this, this family I have? Man, man look, at, look at what I have. But it's, it's a group of people that come to the realization that he both loves us, he cares for us, he died for us, he's sovereign, he's strong, he can heal he can move. He breaks the power of sin. 
And sometimes it's in a moment, and sometimes it's in a moment-by-moment realization of me just simply saying, Jesus, I will give everything to you over and over, and though I try, and though I fall, I'll continue to give it to you. But it's when we both realize, or realize both, that he is the sovereign, strong king, and he is the kind, loving shepherd. Some of us are like the nation of Israel, where we feel cut off from God. You know that he's strong. But you also need to know that he loves you. And that his time for the nation of Israel (laughs) was not because he hated them. It's not because he was mad at them. It's because he loves them. It's because he loves you. It's because he loves me. So because at time, we sit there and say, God, how could you? Baseball is the most meaningful thing in my life. And yet he looks and he says, you don't know how meaningful I am. His sovereignty is also kindness. So if you have been feeling like you are cut off from the love of God, I just want you to know that there is a Savior who is the shepherd, who in his extraordinary strength has the compassion to gather us in our arms, or in his arms. And he's also a God who in his compassion and lovingness of of his arms, we have to acknowledge he is the king. He rules, he reigns, and I could spend the rest of my life championing the idea, championing me, making this flower great, but at the end of the day, the word of God and the souls of men are the only thing that will last for all of eternity. And so we want to just say, Jesus, we don't want to spend our entire time as a flower saying, look how cool my petals are. We want to spend our entire time as a flower saying, look how incredible my God is. And I trust him. Because he loves me. Because he sacrificed for me. And yet in his sovereign strength, his sacrifice for me was enough to bridge the gap of eternity. So I just want you to know, if Jesus in your life is simply Savior, but he is not Lord, then you are missing out. You are missing out on the strength of the Savior of eternity. And I would even say this, if he is simply Savior and not Lord, I don't know that you know Savior because if you know him as Savior, not as Lord, then that actually means that is the most cognitively illogical thing we could possibly do. Think about it. Warren Buffett, you're the most incredible investor. I trust you with my retirement. Man, I got this 10 bucks here, and I don't know if you can do it, Warren. That'd be silly. Here's my brand new Bugatti. Man, I don't know if I can trust you with my bike. My, my, my Schwinn is very nice. Put a baseball card in the spokes. I don't want you to have that yet. Just installed. We laugh, right? But here's the thing. If that's you, no. Know that God is not a God. God is not a God whose goal is to, for all eternity, create separation. 
He is the God who stepped out of eternity so there would be no separation. He is the God who said, I am not just strong enough, but I love enough that I'm going to set eternity aside. I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to be made nothing. I'm going to take the very form of a baby, the very form of a servant, and I'm going to be obedient to whatever the Father says to the point of death, even death on the cross, so that at the end of the day, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess, and every every word and every person would declare that Jesus is Lord forever. That's his goal. My hope is that, this, that today, as you hear those stories, because I know as, as, as often as I stand up here, it, 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 it can seem like, okay, well, this has just been, this is just people talking. Like, no, no, no. No, this is God intersecting with people's lives, changing, shifting, moving the trajectory of their hearts, their minds, and their eternities. Man, the same thing can happen for you. And maybe for you it's the first time, or maybe for you it's the last time. And by last time, I mean it's the time that you say, God, once and for all, I am returning to you. We're going to end with one more song. And honestly, it's my favorite Christmas song. We're going to sing this at Christmas Eve, but I also know that many of you are not going to be here for Christmas Eve. It's my favorite song, and it's called O Holy Night. There's a part that perfectly captures this idea. It says, long lay the world. For the longest time, the world, we lay in sin, in error, pining. That means we lay in our sin, hoping, hoping, pining, looking, longing, hoping that perhaps we have not gone too far for the love of God. Perhaps God has not fully and completely cut us off, but it seems like he has. It says, long lay the world in sin, in error, pining, until he appeared in the soul, felt its worth. That the thrill of hope, that perhaps what we had put our hope in was not right, but perhaps because we had put our hope in other things than God, he hadn't cut us off. That there's this thrill, there's this hope that God is still here, still here. God is still cares, God is still sufficient, God is still sovereign, and God stepped out of eternity. That the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder brings a new and glorious morn. Because the Savior, who is the shepherd king, showed up, and the soul felt its worth. In other words, our soul felt that the only thing that actually brings us alive inside is the realization that I have been saved, rescued by my shepherd king who stepped out of eternity into our temporary. So Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that as we sing this last song together, would you simply speak to us? God, many of us, we just need to sit and listen to this song. For some of us, we need to sing it and anthem it as loud as we possibly can because that's how we feel. We just lay in sin. We lay in error. We lay pining, hoping that we haven't been cut off. For some of us, we don't know you. We've never come to place our faith, hope, our trust in you in the finished work that you did on the cross. And today, we just need to declare that there's a thrill of hope deep inside of my heart that I know that my Savior, God, came, died for me. And now I just sit here and say, behold, my God. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are both my King and my Shepherd. For some of us, we've felt like we're in the wilderness in the desert. And there are so many high places and so many low valleys between us and God. 
but it was the thrill of hope. When love came down, when eternity refused separation, but your divinity became humanity, and it was for our rescue. You had the strength as king, but the compassion as shepherd. So Jesus, thank you. We look for you, we long for you, we submit to you, our shepherd king.